All right, so uh, good morning. It's good to see you all. Glad to be here. Um, my cousin and his wife are here, and my wife. Uh, so glad to have you here as well. Um, let's see, what should we talk about? Oh, uh, so um, let's talk about Jesus. I, um, I'm from uh, an organization called Church Army USA. It started back in 1882. Um, in London uh, with the intent of being uh, of reaching those outside the church. There were people who had moved from the farm to uh, the city to work in the industrial area, uh, and uh, the church wasn't doing a great job of reaching out to them, right? And so Wilson Carlisle, who was a priest uh, at uh, an Anglican church or the English church, started going out and holding open air uh, services and inviting folks who would not normally go to church to read from uh, the Book of Common Prayer, actually. And so he began to engage people who otherwise were marginalized. And we continue that to this day. We're in 15 different countries. Uh, and I'm the National Director of Ministries. And so my job is to plant new centers of ministry and uh, install evangelists and residences uh, in... Um, all over the country. So that's what I do. That's what I do. And so I'm here in Austin for at least three years. Um, my wife and I moved down here from Pittsburgh, where we ran a center of ministry uh, right across from uh, Trinity School of Ministry in a town called Aliquippa. Some of you know about Pittsburgh. Some of you used to live there. I'm not going to say any names, but I can see you. <laughs> that is all. So that's that. That's the introduction. Uh, I'm 6'7". Uh, my hair is real. Um, I didn't play basketball. Um, I'm trying to think any other things that would be interesting. I do bench a lot. Actually, I do work out. That is a whole thing. Um, the body is a temple. Uh, so I want to make sure that, and it's got lots of colors on it. Uh, there is stained glass on this temple. Anyway, all right, so stained glass or ta tattoos? Case you, okay, just make sure. You have nice tattoos too, I saw. All right, here we go. All right, so uh, our reading, our gospel reading this morning is from uh, John 2. Um, and uh, that was wonderfully read. Thank you very much. Uh, this telling of Jesus' experience in the temple is actually recorded uh, in all four gospels. And everyone that tells it adds their own detail from their own perspective. John tells it from one perspective, uh, the one we read today, and Mark tells it from his perspective, uh, Matthew from his, and Luke gives an account of uh, the interviewing of other people who were there, and he writes it down. So we have four different narratives about this experience, right? And actually it happened more than once, so there you go. In Mark's account, Jesus and his disciples are coming into Jerusalem, but it's late, so they decide to sleep for the night and do a revisit in the morning, right? Mark 5, 11 is where it's recorded. So I'm going to read this real quick. Uh, then Jesus entered into Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. The next day when they had left Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Remember that. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and, and leaf, he went to see if there was any fruit on it. But when he reached it, he found nothing on it except leaves, since it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, 
May no one ever eat of your fruit again. And his disciples heard this statement. When they are, uh, sorry, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those selling doves. And he, he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Then Jesus began to teach them and declared, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. When I was dating my wife, uh, some 25 years ago, we dated for a whole total of two months. Uh, I don't suggest that for you, but you know, when you know, you know. Anyway, um, 25 years later gives us the, that we knew. Anyway, uh, we, we were dating and I just, it worked. So we were dating and we were hanging out and uh, we were talking about the humanity of Jesus, right? Like oftentimes we get excited about the, the deity of Jesus, the godness of Jesus, but we miss the humanity of Jesus. And we were reading this passage at our house because that's what you do when you're on a date. Uh, you read scripture <laughs> in case you're single and you want to know how to get along with a woman. You know that she's going to be good if she's willing to study scripture with you. So we were studying scripture and we are talking about humanity of Jesus and how in this passage... Jesus went to Jerusalem, right? It was late, closing time. Decides to come back. They go to sleep. He wakes up the next morning. And for breakfast, he wants to have figs, right? He goes to the tree for figs and there are no figs. Jesus responds with, you should just dry up from your roots, that's a pretty strong statement. Then Jesus goes to the temple and he turns over the tables. And we began to laugh because we realized the humanity of Jesus, Jesus was hangry. <laughs> like he had an entire, like who here has been hangry before? Let's just be honest. We've all experienced the same thing Jesus experienced there in Jerusalem, right? And so we're just laughing and enjoying just the moment of like recognizing that we had some identity with the person of Jesus, right? We're laughing, having a good time. And Angel's roommate has a vision. And she says, I see us walking around uh, in, in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, we're putting on our armor. And right then, God gave me something to say. And I was like, oh, I only know her for two weeks. I'm not saying anything. And so instead of me saying something, I collapsed face first into the carpet. So on the outside, there I was, the six foot seven human sprawled out on this young lady's carpet on the outside. I'm not breathing on the outside. To the observer, that's what's happening. On the inside, I'm arguing with the Lord. I'm like, God, let me up. Just let me up. I am super embarrassed now. Let me up off the carpet, please. No response. God, please, I just want to get up. Then a deep breath on the outside and then nothing. And again, I'm arguing, God, I just want to get up. I don't want to be face down. Okay, fine. Okay, God, yes. Yes, I'll say it. I'll say it. And as I relented, I came back too, sat up. And it's interesting because the thing that God wanted me to say was, this is super ironic, is that 
because of our vision, when you, it, God said, hey, when you join God's family, you no longer belong to yourself like when you join the army. And here I am arguing with God about saying that I no longer belong to myself. That started me on a journey of better understanding who Jesus is, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. I'll never forget that experience. I will remember. In church, in the church calendar, uh, like Father Peter said, we celebrate this Sunday a thing called Trinity Sunday. Our reading in John has multiple points, but let's focus on a few things. Let me ask you a question. When you think of God, this is a real question. This is not like rhetorical, but keep it to yourself. When you think of God, what are the attributes, the characteristics of God? Just think for a minute, the characteristics of God. Just think for a second. What are the characteristics of God? Okay. You got those? Nod or something. Give me some type of, yes, nonverbal communication. Thank you. All right. Now, I want you to think of Jesus. Think of the characteristics of Jesus. What are those characteristics? Think about them. List them in your head. And if you want to be fun, you could actually write them down. I mean, you know, that's extra. There's no extra credit in the sermon, by the way, but God knows. <laughs> you have those characteristics of Jesus? What are the, now think about the Holy Spirit. What are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, what are the adjectives of God versus Jesus versus the Holy Spirit? How many of you came up with the same list for all three? How many of you came up with different lists? Isn't that interesting? Because when you think of Jesus, how many have meek and humble for Jesus? Like meek, humble, we have some, the humility of Jesus, yeah? And God is, God is a vengeful God. Anybody have vengeful? Venge, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Like he said that, I didn't. I mean, I did. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's a comforter. We have some Holy Spirit comforter. But we see Jesus flipping tables. How does that line up with meek and humble? Right? That's a real question. How does that line up with meek and humble? Does that make, does that, does that miss for you guys? Like, let's, let's pause for a second. Jesus goes in and he flips table. He braids a cord, makes a whip, and drives out people. Jesus, like a lamb led to the slaughter. That same Jesus. What the disciples had is something that, that we potentially lost, an understanding of what Jesus, what happens when Jesus says that he is the son of God. The reason Jesus was crucified was not because he was doing miracles, 
or not even because he was active on the Sabbath. He was crucified because he identified with the person of God. Saying that he was the son of God meant that he was equal to God. And that was blaspheme. That that was it. He was blaspheming God. He was doing some stuff that other people were killed for subsequently. The disciples saw it. They saw him say and do things. They heard him say, I only hear, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. The disciples saw it and they remembered after the fact that they were, as they were writing down all that Jesus happened, Jesus was living scripture. He literally was the Word made flesh. Yeah or no? I I need, this is an Anglican, not Presbyterian, right? This is, I'm just checking. Nothing against Presbyterians. I was was a Presbyterian once. I grew up. Anyway, um, he was living a life that reflected the very nature of God. How often do we have a retrospective nature of God? How often do we find ourselves looking back over our lives, remembering what God has done in our lives that proves that he, is, he indeed loves us? The disciples did that retrospectively. They looked back and went, oh, well, he did that thing, and he said that he would have passion for Well, he said that, and I remember now that we read some scripture earlier, and it lined up with, as they began to remember what Jesus did, it began to line up with who God said he is, who God says he is. Do we have a testimony of him being present in ways that are unexplainable any other way? I now now know that God wants my attention, that my responsibility is not to make a market or a mockery of the gift of being called his. It comes with some great responsibility to be presented as his and walk beside people with a testimony of the goodness of God. The biggest trick Satan has ever played is to convince us he doesn't exist. Right? But Satan himself would want nothing more of humanity than to forget that God is good. That's what he wants, right? And it goes all the way back to the garden. Yeah? We read Genesis 1 and began reading Genesis 2. He's standing, he's hanging out with Eve and says, Hey, uh, can I walk? Is that okay if I walk? I'm not going to mess the sound up if I walk. We'll find out, huh? <laughs> he, says, he says to Eve, um, hey man, you, you should check out this fruit. It's really good. And Eve says, ah, I'm not supposed to do that because God said I'm not supposed to do that, right? And then what does Satan say? Is that really what God said? Is that really what God said? And it's just that little seed of doubt 
That's all Satan wants. It's just to put a little seed of doubt that God is for you. That's all he needs to do because then we will take up the mantle and I will be God myself. God, I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to run this from here. Right, I got this under control. God, you just, you, you and the, the Trinity, you can watch from the sidelines. And if I need you, I'll call you. But generally, I'm just going to do, oh, maybe it's just me. Am I the only one? Okay. It's just me. I'll, um, it's just me, Peter. I thought it was all of us. I thought that was a human condition. Satan, thank you, it was an amen. There it is. Satan wanted to steal God's shine. That's what he wanted to do. That was his MO. That was his purpose. That's like he was doing a great job worshiping. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm doing such a great job. Maybe I should get the throne. Right? And don't we see that played out in our day-to-day lives? I'm doing such a great job. Maybe I should just run this thing myself. I have a friend that hasn't accepted the love of God shown through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Not yet, but we're talking. He likes to talk about the problem of, of evil in the world. If there is a God and he is good, then why is there so much suffering? Right? Why is there hurt? Long before any of us have existed or even had that thought, it has been a conversation. Now, we didn't just come up with this thought ourselves. Like, you know what? I got a new thought. Why is there evil in the world? I am now a philosopher, right? Like, no, they've been chopping this up for a long time. If God is good, if there is a God, then why all the pain? I mean, it isn't hard for us to look around and see the devastating impact of evil, But that's the point, isn't it? That we can see evil. And if we can see evil, there must be something against the evil to give us an understanding that there is evil. Does that make sense? Like, oh, that's bad. There must be something other than bad or else I wouldn't be able to call bad, bad. I can't call something evil unless I have another understanding that there's something that's not evil. And so my friend confounded at my deep philosophical thinking. I was just quoting scripture to him, and I can't take credit for that. Some could look at Jesus' response to what was happening in the temple courts, the Gentile court on the outside of the outside, and they can moralize his actions. They can go, hey, Jesus, that's not cool. Branding, braiding a whip and brandishing it not once but twice, turning over tables and driving out hardworking people just trying to make a living? Is there really any justification for this type of aggression, Jesus? But then that's, that's because we don't understand the importance of history, right? Paul, pain, not Paul, pain does exist. Suffering does exist. There's this moral imperative that God is giving us, and God is loving. 
The religious leaders of the day didn't have the same lens that we have. They don't have the reflective, like we can look back over the, the entire spectrum of the gospel, Old Testament and New, and go, oh, well, I see that there was an entire thing being played out. The religious leaders of the day, they were more concerned about the moment. In that moment, they didn't have the patient expectation of God. They wanted it to happen right then, right there, right there, right now. And so they began to make money off of people coming in because I can't trust God, so I got to cut some corners myself. That's none of us, though. The God that we serve is a God of justice and mercy. We see it proclaimed and modeled throughout the Old Testament. One of the best places that we see it is freeing his people from the oppression that they experienced in Egypt, right? They were crying out to God. God heard their cries, but the beauty of, I'm gonna walk one more time, okay. The beauty of, it's like I don't really need those. The, the beauty of, the beauty of what God does in the Old Testament, I think in the Ten Commandments, is something that we, we can miss. We don't see God of justice and mercy when we see the Ten Commandments. Oftentimes we'll go, well, that's, those are some harsh rules. That's, that's, really, that's, that's really oppressive, right? But if we read through that narrative, we hear over and over God saying, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. So the Ten Commandments, the laws that he set out, were actually justice in response to how they were treated in Egypt. So like, people, there's a law that says you can't, uh, you can't tie your giraffe to a lamppost. And we think that's a crazy law. Why would people have a law you can't, did you know that's a law? That's a law. You can't tie your giraffe to a lamppost. The question that we should ask is, who tied their giraffe to a lamppost? <laughs> Right? Like laws exist because someone has done something in the first place. And so we set a law in place to say, hey, we can't do that anymore. So we see God saying justice to his people because at one point they were experiencing injustice. Right? Over and over again, we read in scripture, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. And I know a lot of us don't identify as slaves in Egypt, but we can easily identify as ourselves as slaves to sin. Remember once that you were slaves to sin. Remember at one time you were in bondage to your desires and your feelings and that's what drove you and that was the only thing that you could live by were your feelings and your desires. There was no higher... Back to the script, sorry. <laughs> there is a response to evil in the world. Jesus says it. He says, I've done some good stuff, but greater things you will do than I did. Like the response to evil in the world is actually us. The response to evil in the world is actually us. I'm going to say it one more time because I think, like, I'm going to change, I'm gonna change that, that. The response to evil in the world is actually you. You're the actual response to evil. 
he has given us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. Okay. All right. That's good. That's, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Growing up in child of the 70s, uh, anybody here uh, grow up in the 70s? Anybody close to my age at all? Thank you. A few of you. Anybody know Sesame Street? All right, so there was a cartoon, there was a little cartoon on Sesame Street, and there was a, a, a mother, and she talked to her daughter and said, hey, I want you to go to the grocery store, and I want you to get a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. I knew somebody knew this. And mom says, do you need to write this down? And she said, no, 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 mom, I've got this. Okay, here's some money, and off she goes. There's a whole trend on TikTok where people skip, and I'm just wanting to show that I can't skip. All right. So she, see, she skips off to the store. And she's like, a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. And she gets to the store, and the clerk says, well, what can I do for you? And she says, I need a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and, and, and then this thought bubble pops over her head. And it's her mom, and she repeats it. A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. And she says, a loaf of bread, container of milk, and a stick of butter. And she's excited, and the, and the clerk gives her, her food, the food that she wants, and she skips back to the house. And she says, Mom, I remembered, I remembered. And the mom said to her, you have a great memory. And the little girl's response was, thanks, mommy. May that be said of us, that we, like the disciples, remember that Jesus is Lord. That the Godhead is a God of justice and mercy, that grace has been lavished upon us, that we get what we don't deserve and we don't get what we do deserve. That his mercies are new every morning. That nothing can snatch us from his hand. That Jesus has prepared a place for us. He says, I'm going. If it were not so, I would have told you. That we've been given a job of being agents of reconciliation. That the world is groaning and we have the elixir. We have the solution to what ails you. His name is Jesus. That we all are hoping to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. May that be said of us. May it be said of you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.